Welcome to the Alpha Female Podcast with me, your host, Robin Baldwin. This show is to inspire you to embrace living like an alpha female. But what is an alpha female, you may ask? An alpha female is a powerful and assertive woman. Her confidence is due to being an intelligent and intellectual problem solver. She constantly strives for a happy and healthy work-life harmony, but knows that it requires being true to your priorities and what makes you happy. She is never complacent about striving for better and always nurtures the relationships with the people in her life. So let's get started. You are listening to the Alpha Female Podcast, Episode 35. All links and show notes can be found at robinbaldwin.com forward slash podcast. Today on the show, we're talking to Robin Baldwin. Just kidding. We're talking to me. So I listened to some of your reviews on iTunes, and you said you wanted more of Robin. So instead of some short episodes, I'm going to give you a full-length one. And in honor of the fact that my book is out yesterday, it's a great opportunity for me to kind of self-promote myself. So introduction, bio, because some of you may not be completely familiar if you are just tuning into this episode. So I call myself an alpha female, obviously because of the podcast title, but I'm also a work-life harmony strategist. So helping others figure out what work-life harmony means to them. And the reason why is because I've pretty much figured it out in my life and I just want to share that with others and also um, showcase other women. So I'm a marketing manager by day. I am a fitness and lifestyle blogger over at robinbaldwin.com. I am the author of Love Lost Life Found. I am a podcaster, obviously. I am an essential oils network marketer. I'm an obstacle course racer, I am a runner, road and trail, I am a yogi, and I am an MS warrior. So I live with multiple sclerosis, and that is a positive term in the community just to uh, empower those that are living with the autoimmune disease. So I'm bringing on to interview me my fabulous podcast editor, Allegra Swanson. So she's always behind the scenes, but now she gets to be in front of the scenes. Hello. Hi. It's so fun to be on the mic for the first time. Mm -hmm. And we were joking before we started recording that you may have trouble actually like talking because you're so used to just listening to me (laughs) ask the questions and you're not going to be like, oh, it's my turn now. (laughs) Yeah, I get get an hour with you every week and it's delightful, but I rarely get to ask the questions and respond myself. So it's going to be really exciting for me. I'm turning it over to you. So... I I think I speak on behalf of some of your other listeners as well. You know, there are times when I listen to the podcast and I think, oh, expand on that more. But I remember, you know, it's not about you and you have such a wonderful variety of hosts on the show. So it's fabulous to be able to get to hear how you might answer some of the questions and also obviously to talk about your book. So one of the things I wanted to touch on first is how the definition of the alpha female has evolved. And I know that you touch on that often throughout the podcasts. But specifically, you talk about one thing that I really related to myself when I first heard the switch was going from a work-life balance to work-life harmony. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how 
you're open to that definition evolving, but also what that switch means for you and can mean for your listeners. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's in the book and I actually have the pages in front of me. So it started in 2009 when I started the blog and a coworker called me an alpha female and I got really upset because I thought she was calling me a derogatory term. I thought alpha female just meant a woman that ate men for breakfast. Um, <laughs> so I looked up the definition and I found this, it's urban dictionary. So it's, it's actually quite clean, but it, it is an urban dictionary definition. And an alpha female is a dominant or assertive woman, a woman boss, the leader among a group of females. And so I looked at that and I was like, okay, uh, I think it's just a leader, a woman boss. Yeah, totally. There, there goes the, like the ambition part and a dominant or assertive woman. I just changed that to a powerful and assertive woman. So that's how I adapted urban dictionary. And then really the definition was born in 2012 when so many people kept commenting, like, why do you call yourself an alpha female? Like, what does that even mean? And I realized, oh, I guess I need to define it better and actually kind of live by the definition. So I wrote an ebook called How to Live Like an Alpha Female, and that's when the first definition surfaced. And the two differences from what the definition now uh, to what it was in 2012 was I had put she strives for a happy and healthy work-life balance. And now, as you mentioned, it's she strives for a happy and healthy work-life harmony. So I'll address that first. Balance, if you think about like a scale or a teeter-totter, and for it to be balanced, it has to have equal weight on either side. And so if you equate balance with work and life, then you have to have equal weighting to work and equal weighting to life. And that's all well and good if you can figure out how to, you know, work a full-time job eight hours a day and then properly get in eight hours of life either in the morning or after work. But if you're an entrepreneur or if you're a side hustler and you choose to fill your hours with more work, then that's not actually equally balanced. Does that mean that you're not happy if you're filling that time with work? No. So when I changed it to harmony, it was inspired by Siobhan John. And it was just like, these things are still passionate to me. I'm filling my cup up with technically quote unquote work, but I don't see it as that. And I'm still super happy and super healthy. So this is perfect harmony for my life. And then, so in 2012, it actually read, an alpha female puts the needs of her friends, family, and coworkers first without sacrificing her principles or dignity. She strives for synergy with the world around her. And it was funny because at that time I had just left the toxic relationship that inspired the book Love, Lost, Life Found. And I had been putting a mentally ill human being first. So I had been putting his needs first above my own. And I thought that that was still really important. So I hadn't really truly figured out self-care or self-love yet at that time when I wrote the definition. And as I moved forward, fully embraced self-love and self-care. And I was already doing that intuitively. I just hadn't put it in writing in the definition. Yeah, and I think that a few times in the podcast, it's come up, if you're on an airplane, the safest thing to do is to put your own gas mask on before you help someone else. And I think that that's such a great way to think about it. Because 
when I first heard the definition of putting your friends and family first, I thought, well, of course that's what you do. And then when you think about it, you're like, that doesn't make me a different person. I'm still me. I'm still loving and caring. And my family is important to me and my friends are important to me beyond anything else. But if I can't be myself around them, I'm not much help to them either. Yeah, it's almost like women have shied away from saying, like raising their hand and being like, no, I come first because then they don't want to seem like they're less of a girlfriend or less of a sister or less of a daughter or less of a Mm -hmm. mother. So it's just about really truly like pushing that message that you can still be an amazing all of those other things if you put yourself first. So let's talk about healthy habits. Speaking of putting yourself first, that's something Mm -hmm. that you touch on in each episode, depending on who has healthy habits, whether it's surrounding um, essential oils, which I know is important to you, you've touched on that, and supplements. What kind of healthy habits do you use to keep your immune system boosted? Okay, so I'll do morning. I start the day with warm water and lemon to clean out my system. And then I do a fiber supplement immediately after that because I'm on an autoimmune paleo meal plan, which is high in protein, high in roughage, so vegetables and some fruit, but limited carbs. So it's really high fiber, but not the sticky fiber that sticks everything together inside of you. So Soluble versus unsoluble. <laughs> oh, there we go. I learned about that yesterday, actually. So <laughs> um, I certainly know what you mean. Yeah. So uh, because I'm not really doing like oatmeal that often or like sweet potatoes or uh, all these clean carbs, I had to really cut down on those uh, as I did an elimination diet for the first year of living with MS. I was still battling with IBS symptoms. And so I need to stick everything together. So the fiber supplement goes in my system first thing in the morning. And then I have not cut coffee out of my diet. So after the two cups of water, then I get a cup of coffee into me. And that's either en route to the gym, after the gym if I've forgotten to make it, or I'll wait and just bring a tumbler with me to the office on my commute. I'm... You try to pack my supplements in my food container at the beginning of the week so that they're just with me. So I take vitamin D first thing in the morning with protein and a fat meal because vitamin D is absorbable with fat. And then my next round of supplements are, I've set an alarm on my phone. I have one round at 11 a.m. and then one round at 9 p.m. before I go to sleep. So other things, it's like you have to get in the eight hours of sleep. And that was, you know, a non-negotiable for me. And then we got a puppy. And (laughs) I don't think I've talked about the puppy too often on the podcast, but the puppy means I'm not sleeping eight hours. And so my immune system has definitely been drained and I've been fighting a cold this year. I haven't fought a cold since I was diagnosed. So uh, it's kind of like kind of a, a neat little science experiment that it's like, oh, okay, those eight hours of sleep really are like the biggest importance in my life. Immune system. Uh, so yeah, the supplements and I optimize. So I haven't really talked about it too much, but I go and see a naturopath and um, I get my blood drawn by my family doctor. So my family doctor will draw my blood and we'll do kind of a baseline to see where I'm at. But I'll also work with naturopaths and functional medicine doctors to see what the nutrients are like after like a six month 
time period. So a normal blood test is just 24 hours what's in your system. So if I'm, you know, sticking to my compliance, all of my vitamins are in my system, the, the levels should be quite high. But if you do a white blood cell test, it'll show you what your cells are actually absorbing. So you mentioned your MS diagnosis, and that's something that I feel like is not mentioned too much on the podcast, just surrounding that time period. And I wanted to share just a quick story of when you shared your MS diagnosis with me, the first thing I said was, I'm so sorry. Cool. And you were, you were so quick to say, no, 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 don't be sorry. And it was hard for me personally, because I was like, well, of course, I don't mean I'm sorry for you. That's just a colloquialism. Mm. But it was a very interesting thing to think about why we use certain phrases that we use and the fact that some of them are really outdated because I'm not sorry. And certainly, I think it's added an, an extraordinary amount to your life. Mm. And I'm sure you would agree with that. MS <laughs> is your sidekick. But it was interesting for me to reexamine how I go about um, communicating with friends when there's been a big change in their life like that. So yeah. do you want to talk about how, not necessarily how you dealt with the diagnosis personally, but just how you would suggest in future there are other ways that things like this can be reframed to add value to your life rather than to take away value? Mm, this is awesome. I love this. So I associate I'm so sorry with pity and I don't want to be pitied. So that's just my personal problem with the word. And some people don't have that. They may actually want you to say, I'm so sorry, because they want you, they want to feel like you're completely empathizing with them. So I understand that it's different. So I've learned that as I tell people about my diagnosis, I have to set them up for the reaction that I want. And it's how people tell stories. So if I say, I'm going to tell you something and I don't want to hear I'm sorry because I'm not sorry about it, then I don't get I'm sorry. Mm. So it's on people to set up story. If they want to tell a story or an announcement, it's on them to set the scene for how they want information or feedback to be received back. And I didn't realize this until I was diagnosed and I started telling people that there are there's kind of like four different categories, I think, of people. There's the I'm so sorry. And I realized, and this may not apply to everyone, but a lot of the times, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you think about what that would mean in your life. So I'm so sorry is usually like, oh my gosh, if this happened to me, that would, like that's crazy. I would be like devastated or hurt or upset. There's people that have gone through storms, and I've realized that those are the ones that go into straight empathizing mode and ask practical questions like, can I do anything for you, like take you grocery shopping, or do you need any food? Mm -hmm. So um, those reactions. And I've just realized that as I've gone through two storms, so calling off my wedding in 2012, and leaving that toxic relationship has set me up for how I can show up for others who have a broken heart. And then going through the storm of a diagnosis is also now teaching me how I can show up for others who have gone through something. So because I've been quite public with my MS diagnosis, I've had a lot of uh, relatively recently diagnosed MS warriors reach out to me and I hold space for them. So I don't hold space for 
a lot of people, to be honest, because it's very draining as an introvert. Um, <laughs> but I will go out for coffee with a recently diagnosed MSer and start sharing just different resources that I've used because I didn't have anyone at the time of my diagnosis. I didn't know anyone I could actually sit down and like physically talk to. But I never say I'm sorry to them. I try to get excited for them because that's what I've done in my life. And so if I can help project a bit of that into someone else's life, then I'm hoping that that would have an impact. And that's such an awesome message. And I think that it will change people's perspective around things like that. I know that my I'm sorry came from, oh my gosh, I don't have enough information about this, but that is a disease. And that sounds like something that I should be not upset for, but how can I help you? And I think you immediately assume that people want commiseration Mm. and it's just not the case. So what I've taken away from that is a lot. I don't know whether you knew that, Mm. but I've taken away a lot from that. Um, I have a friend who has metastatic breast cancer and it's terminal. And I interact with her in a way that I hope she finds helpful, but it's a way that I can figure out what I can offer to her rather than saying, let me know if there's anything I can do. It's offering specific things. You know, yeah. can I come over and bring this? Would this be helpful to you? Because oh, it's that's amazing. It's not my job to tell her to tell me to do something. Right. Yeah, and like anyone anyway. that says, like, what can I do for you? Oh, let me rack my brain because my brain <laughs> isn't already a mess right now. <laughs> and I think the hard thing is it does come from a good place. And that's yeah. the, the first step is to sort of figure out, okay, obviously this person means well. And in a great way, you've helped educate. I can speak for myself, me personally, of... Um, here are ways that you can frame this differently to make the person who's experienced the situation leave it in their hands of how they decide to deal with it rather than you saying, I am sorry for you. Mm-hmm. Even if that's a colloquialism, take a step back. So I found that really fascinating and helpful. And I think that not everyone would react the way you did. And I hope that there have been people who have taken some inspiration from the way that you've worked with MS as your sidekick. I have to take a small detour here because I noticed something you said that I wouldn't have used to describe you, which is introvert. Mm. Though you and I have hung out at Camp Yoga in a full onesie pajama suit Mm -hmm. (laughs) and had wonderful times where we read on the porch together, I wouldn't have necessarily jumped to call you an extrovert, but I certainly wouldn't have called you an introvert. Can you tell me more about that? So I'm an outgoing introvert. Okay. Yeah, so there's, I guess that's the best way to describe it, is that I can be really outgoing, I put myself out there, but I do it in ways that are safe for me, and I do it in ways that don't drain my energy. So introvert only means that I get my energy from being on my own or in nature or quiet and reflective, whereas an extrovert gets their energy from people. And being around people actually like drains me. So it's one of the reasons I think I may have touched upon it once in like a pain point Mm. where it's like people think I'm potentially rude or disinterested. No, this is just, yeah, this is totally new (laughs) Um, (laughs) because my tone of voice is really like we talk about that a lot in the pain points, but in terms of me being totally like shy and just not getting energy from people, I can come off really like I'm very closed. Like it takes a lot for me to put myself out of my comfort zones and talk to new people or like small talk kills me. 
Um, <laughs> and, and so I come off as really cold in new situations because it absolutely terrifies me. Um, and so I can push myself out of my comfort zones. But for example, like we're talking about camp yoga, which is an amazing, you know, weekend retreat with a whole bunch of people. I, for the life of me, can't get anything out of like the massive interactions, like the smaller classes with five to 10 people just like fill my soul. Whereas like there was no, there was no interest in going to like the big dance party at 10 o'clock at night because then I don't get my eight hours of sleep. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just know myself now and I'm fully like unapologetic about what I need and what I can't do. That makes total sense. And I also know that Having said that, maybe not in those exact ways, but you challenge yourself every day. So I'd love to move into how do you challenge yourself physically? And I know that from running an obstacle course race with you, you are constantly challenging yourself physically. So whether it's with MS as your sidekick or completely unrelated to that, how do you challenge yourself physically? Yeah, so I started my fitness journey by competitions. And doing the whole bikini thing on stage. And I have to jump in here. I certainly Googled <laughs> that relatively soon into our friendship. And I was like, what? This is incredible. Yeah. And I've never known someone who did competitions. And it was like, who is this person? This is amazing. So I encourage all of your listeners to do a little exploring. Well, if you um, just Google my name, like half of the photos <laughs> are my fitness competition days. Like I don't know how to get rid of them. <laughs> and that's a whole other podcast in itself because yeah. I have one million questions for you. But uh, tell me about that. Yeah, so that was me learning how to train. So I learned how to go to the gym and lift weights for aesthetic reasons so it was figuring out you know the different body part workouts leg day back day shoulder day arm day ab day cardio and just like learning how to manipulate my body I was learning how to eat healthy at the time I say healthy it was clean eating but it wasn't eating properly for what my body actually needed it was just eating for fitness aesthetic reasons so there's a massive difference and I think many people who get into their fitness journey through competitions then end up in a health journey realizing that they can optimize their health so much further than what is just on the surface from like eating for macros and ensuring that you're getting enough calories in calories out but actually like eating to fuel you properly that's an evolution that I know the competition world inspires so I will never knock the fitness world even though I'm out of it and find it far from healthy or self-esteem boosting which again is a whole other podcast but it served its purpose in opening up my journey. So as I started realizing that I was getting really strong in the gym, my mother said one day, when are you going to stop prancing around on stage in a bikini and actually do something with your strength? <laughs> oh, bless her. And it was just like, true, true, okay, touche, touche. And that's when I realized that I was in a, such a subjective sport and I actually wasn't being able to see what my training was doing to my body. So I had done Warrior Dash for fun. It was my entry-level drug into the world. And I realized that I was actually doing pretty well at it. So I was like, okay, let me try a harder one. I'll try Tough Mudder. And after I called off the wedding and left the relationship, I started dating right away because as an alpha female, I was like, I can find someone right away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 
that relationship served an amazing purpose to teach me that I love adventure and that I love bucket lists and that I love obstacle course racing. So he gave me quite a lot. So I learned that I was actually capable of doing so much more than just body part workouts in the gym. So I started training specifically for obstacle course races, attacking them. I did six uh, in 2013. Uh, No, 2014 I did six. And then I was diagnosed at the end of 2014, and I had already made my race schedule for 2015, and it was 15 races. And there was a part of me that was like, you have something to prove now. You have an autoimmune disease. You have 15 races that you've paid for. You are going to do all of them and more. So I ended up doing 20 races in 2015, and it was too much for my body. Although I conquered amazing kind of milestones and have a lot of medals and qualified for the obstacle course world championships, I got adrenal fatigue at the end of the year. So this year, I am challenging myself as so many of my interviewees, it's funny that they're just like showing up in my life, to be nicer to myself and be gentler. And I still have my race goals. I have 12 instead of 20. And for anyone else, let's just take a step back here. That (laughs) is a huge amount. Right? Um, It's a huge amount. And yeah, what you do is extraordinary. So I'm still challenging myself to get stronger. I want to get, you know, more adept on obstacles. Like I want to be able to climb over walls without looking like a beached whale. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm not graceful on the course by any means. I want to challenge myself to, you know, work on my endurance. I love... I love running. I love trail running. So getting those runs in and getting those kinds of races in my life are still on my on my list. But I'm challenging myself now to learn to truly listen to my body. And I think my hardest challenge is I get MS symptoms when I overheat. So if I am overheating from just the weather or from the workout the central nervous system where the myelin sheath has been eaten away just can't communicate with the rest of my body. And so I get numbness and tingling down the right side. And that is super frustrating. And every single time it happens, I cry like a baby. And it's it's not painful. It's just frustrating. And I don't know how to be nicer to myself. So my challenge is to learn how to be nicer to myself when my body is telling me, slow your roll. That's such a good way to put it because I think a lot of your listeners and myself included appreciate the fact that it is a challenge just to master your emotions. Mm. It's really overlooked that that is a challenge in itself. Challenging yourself physically in terms of racing is one thing, but it is hard to choose how you react to certain situations. And no matter how your brain can tell you this is fine. What you're doing is already such an accomplishment. It is really hard to turn that around and not cry like a baby. I have my own versions of that and Mm -hmm. I completely understand. (laughs) So let's turn to the thing that in this past week for you has been so exciting, Mm -hmm. um, which is your book, Love, Mm -hmm. Lost, Life Found. I'm assuming that this is something that's really, I guess, a, I don't want to say a labor of love, but I'm assuming this is something that's that's fueled your passion. You've wanted to share your story 
with a wider audience. So let's talk about what you're most passionate about. I started writing the book purely as therapy, just as more journaling techniques than I'm going to write a book and put on paper how I was in a very toxic relationship with a mentally ill individual and we made it to a month before the wedding. Like it was more so I just needed to write. As a blogger, I've been kind of exercising my writing hand and it started out that way. And then I realized I needed to share a bit of my story. Every time I was vulnerable on my blog about different aspects of my just health journey, I always got amazing messages back from people. And it was always privately, like private Facebook messages or private Twitter DMs saying, you motivated me to get up this morning and go to the gym. And that gave me such amazing warm fuzzies because I was doing something selfishly for myself, which was blogging about wanting to look good naked. And in the process, someone was saying, like, you helped me just move today. And that's how the blog just slowly evolved was from those private messages. It was never from the public, like comments on Facebook or likes or anything like that. It was always the private people reaching out, just giving me that warm fuzzy. And so I was engaged to be married in 2012. The date of the wedding was to be August 25th, 2012, hence the date of the the publication this year to make the date now a happy one. And I didn't know how to tell anyone. So calling off a wedding is just full of feelings of shame and embarrassment, feelings of failure, and just feeling really lost about what others will think of you. So I didn't say anything. I just went kind of quiet. I stopped posting all of the Pinterest pictures of wedding planning details and started posting quotes that were kind of keeping my head above water. And at the end of the year, I shared a simple blog post of three things that I learned. Um, One, that no time is ever wasted, uh, that you're stronger than you actually think. And I can't remember the other lesson, but it was just basically like, this is what I've learned in the past year. And I got a private message from a college roommate and she messaged me and she said, I'm pretty sure you called off your wedding because you haven't posted anything. I am in the midst of calling mine off and it's next month. Oh my goodness. And I hadn't said anything about my experience, but just the fact that I had shared three lessons about myself meant she was willing to reach out. Okay, I'm not alone. This isn't something that is just happening to me. And um, my vulnerability uh, just allowed someone to say, like, thank you for sharing. And so a year after calling off the wedding, I shared like a full journey of what I'd done for the full year to find happiness and work through some of that pain. And again, more people came out of the woodwork and emailed me or private messaged me just saying, thank you. We've been watching, you know, your Instagram. Um, Like we saw you go on your honeymoon with your mom. We've seen all the quotes that you're posting, the the races that you're trying, and it's just amazing to see you living life. And then I realized that there's so many people that are super quiet about what has happened to them, and that maybe me sharing what I'm doing to find a life again could help somebody else. So although I'm a massive fan of Elizabeth Gilbert, and she doesn't put anything out into the world to help others, I, I, I did figure out that this book 
could potentially have purpose. And I started writing it for anyone that has ever called off a wedding, has gone through a divorce, or just gone through a horrible breakup and is dealing with a broken heart. And then as the book evolved even further, I realized that I wrote this book for my 13-year-old self to tell my 13-year-old self that I should never have allowed myself to be in that situation. All the warning signs that, that no one told me about, that I never had any candid conversations with older women or friends that told me, like, this isn't okay. And I think that something that's been really interesting for me personally is to see you slowly take off layers of that shell um, not of secrecy or privacy, because I know that you're willing to talk about these things if someone asks, but I remember you posted an interview on Roger's Cable, probably, I don't know, back in maybe May. end of May, yeah. right? And that was the first time that I had seen you physically discuss something like that in public. And just for anyone who's in a position where they might have a story that they're they're needing to tell, wanting to tell, but they're finding it hard to tell. How was that for you? And how would you suggest that someone else could feel confident in, in knowing that there is a bigger picture? It's still terrifying. So the Rogers TV episode, that's easy. That's, you know, five minutes online. Like you can't even get into any detail. The first time I shared a podcast interview that I did I had, like, my heart was squeezed because I shared details of my ex-fiancé being suicidal. I shared details of the fact that he had been cheating on me for three years. Um, I shared details about different warning signs of his drinking that I should have never allowed myself to be in a relationship where drinking was just that present. And... When I re-listened to the episode, I was like, oh crap, it's really out there now. Because I've been very cognizant of not sharing exact details, but then realizing that if I, I'm exactly, like I'm hiding the stuff my 13-year-old self needed to hear. Right. So that's when I was like, no, I'm okay, I'm going to share these details. I even had a copy editor, like... Your story is the same as so many else's, like bad relationship, went south, you called off your wedding, found a life that you love, like talk about all of the life stuff. And that's a massive, it's a massive part of my book, but I, I realized I would be doing people a disservice if I took out some of the details that someone might need to hear. Yeah, your honesty is helpful in other people's journey. But I can imagine that, you know, with, with very close friends and family listening, that that would be a challenge. How about your mom? So I let her be my second copy editor because she's an amazing editor. But I realized that I'm like, if I let her edit the book, then it's going to let her process the book a lot longer than just like getting a copy when it's done. And there was things in the book that I hadn't told her. I had told her a lot because she was there for me. One, she drove from Ottawa to Toronto to be there for me and basically, like, held my hand as I canceled everything. And then my ex-fiance moved back in with me after we canceled the wedding and lived with me for a month. And that was a month of 
just disaster. And when I asked him to finally leave, again, in tears, my mom drove down from, from Ottawa to Toronto to take care of me as I packed up all of his things and, you know, got them out of the condo. So she knew a lot and I shared things, but there was some things about like his sexual health that I never told her. Like, to let your mom read a page where, like, six months before your wedding, your ex-fiancé comes home with chlamydia. Like, your mom's not going to be okay with that. And, but that's something that I chose to ignore in my life. And that's something that I chose to not tell anybody about because I was embarrassed and I didn't know how to process it. And if myself, a strong alpha female who's got everything together but... A, a good relationship there is someone else out there who's just as strong as me who's ignoring the exact same thing so I am passionate about being honest when other people can't so that they can eventually be honest to themselves that's really fabulous and I can't wait to see what happens over the course of the next few months and I'm sure that you'll be sharing great reviews and things that people have shared with you about the book mm-hmm Let's turn to something very different. Let's turn to you relaxing and <laughs> how you wind down at night. Yeah, um, because I jam a lot into my day, and I'm very cognizant of that. Like, it's just exhausting sometimes. And, like, my boyfriend, Mike, will be like, I really don't know how you do it. And I'm just like, I don't know how I do it half the time either. And I'm, I was sick at the beginning of July, and I'm like, well, see, that's because I'm not taking care of myself. So my non-negotiables that are back in my life are eight hours of sleep and my Epsom salt baths. That kind of signals my body that, you know, it's okay, it's time for bed now. So we're going to have a really nice relaxing bath. You can put some frankincense and lavender oil. I usually play around on my phone and check social media for the day because I'm doing really good at not checking it throughout the day. So I'll do a quick check. I may read in the bath, and then I'm jumping into bed and passing out. After years of insomnia right after calling off the wedding, I like, my brain just shuts right off. So I'm, I'm really lucky that way. I love Epsom salt baths. <laughs> As a runner, they're amazing, and I think there's nothing better than reading in the bath. Mm-hmm. It is totally top-notch. <laughs> You mentioned essential oils. Do you want to touch a bit on your new relationship with essential oils? Mm -hmm. It's newly public. So I've been using oils since my diagnosis. So I've been a consumer of doTERRA essential oils since 2014, just using them in a diffuser or really in my Epsom salt baths was the first way I started using them. And now I'm doing everything from making like dry shampoo to bug spray to hand soap. It's just amazing because one, my house smells awesome all the time. And so if, if I wasn't using the oils for anything other than smell, I would still be using the oils. But I have kind of like the, there's the calming ones and there's the elevating ones. So citrus ones are always in my diffuser at work to keep me kind of energetic during the day. And then the, the calming ones like lavender and vetiver and cedar wood and frankincense are usually in the diffuser at night to signal my body it's time for sleep. So let's go the opposite end of the spectrum for a minute here. We talked about how you have 
warm water and lemon in the morning, mm-hmm. um, along with various other things and fiber. But there's also something that you do um, for those of us who follow you on Periscope is you do a morning intention setting. Can you talk mm. about that a bit? Oh, yeah. It's totally kind of like a habit now. So this evolved when I first got Twitter. I would do it on Twitter and I would share like my intention for the day is to like I would choose a couple of words um, and I would just tweet them out. So when Periscope launched, I was like, what am I going to do on this platform? Like, this is super cool. And everyone and their mother who was successful on Periscope was saying, you have to be consistent. I'm like, okay, might as well just take my intention setting practice uh, live. It's funny. I show up every morning at 8.30 unless I'm in a meeting or an appointment. And even if there's only like two people on the scope or 20 or 50, the numbers fluctuate so much. I still deliver for me, one thing that I want to focus on for the day that is going to set me up for the best day possible. And it's sometimes health-based or a habit that I'm trying to implement in my life. It may be a pain point I'm dealing with. I talk constantly about how in the corporate world I'm misunderstood for my tone of voice or my directness. So I may be trying to like soften my tone one day. And it's totally selfish, like, again, But that's what everyone does online. We all do things for selfish reasons in the hope that it might uh, impact someone else's life as well. So it's fully selfish. It's my intention setting for my day. But I'm hoping it makes someone think about how they can either implement something similar into their life or just actually focus on making an intention for their day. And you mentioned pain points. And that's my next question is, what are pain points as an alpha female that you're constantly problem solving for? So if you are talking in the morning about a morning intention setting of managing your tone, is that just something that comes up every once in a while? Or is that a consistent pain point that you are problem solving for? It's consistent because I have a direct dominant personality. I'm task oriented, which means if you give me a job to do, whether it's in my own personal side hustles, or if it's in my corporate full-time job, I just want to get it done as fast as possible. Uh, And I want to do it very well. So I'm also a conscientious personality. So I'll ask a ton of questions. I'll be like, I need to know everything possible before I get started. But then I want to get it done as fast as possible. So I don't always add a lot of eloquent, fancy words into my direction or constructive feedback. And so if someone is not that personality or doesn't understand that I'm that type of personality, they don't know how to receive that. So I am working on communicating with different personalities, but I'm also working on constantly being upfront about who I am. And then like we talk about on social media, being unapologetically authentic. So I'm, I'm trying to lead a bit of a, a revolution in the workplace that is saying I am unapologetic, but who I am, I am not being mean or, you know, um, I am not the B word that so many people have called me. I am just getting this task done so that we as a team can like work more efficiently. So I'm going to ask you your favorite question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sadly, I'm sure that you've had the time to prepare for no, it. No, I don't. I actually don't. <laughs> one of my favorite things is when you ask this question, um, there's always a beat before the person answers from an audio perspective. And I think that that pregnant pause, if you will, is such a special moment when people try and define what their definition of happiness is. 
Or they say, that's a really great question. (laughs) And you can't say that. That's your question. (laughs) If you're a podcast listener, you know that when someone says, that's a really good question, they're trying to think of their answer while they say those words. (laughs) I've just revealed the secret of podcasting. Um, Okay, pregnant pause. My definition of happiness is going after all of my goals and dreams, living the life that I've always imagined in a happy and healthy manner. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I have to say that on behalf of me, who is technically one of your listeners, <laughs> I think that it's just an extraordinary podcast to be able to address these questions for ourselves every day and serve as a reminder that we always have the opportunity to re-engage with ourselves. I don't think that failure is something that is ever, ever felt in this podcast. Whenever I hear someone talk about a goal or talk about something they're practicing in their life, it just inspires me to try and take a step step back and re-engage. So I think that that's such a great feature of this podcast. It inspires me every week in a different way. And you've got such a fabulous cast of different characters that we hear from. And as one of your listeners, I want to thank you for that. And thank you for sharing yourself with us. Thank you for coming on and interviewing me and for being behind the scenes every single week, editing out ums and ahs and coughs (laughs) and all of that jazz. Thank you for making this podcast more amazing um, than it would be unedited. And for all of those who are listening, if you want to follow Allegra on the Twitter or the other platforms, it's a young voice. Her maiden name is young. So a young voice. Thank you. It was lovely to chat with you. On August 25th, 2012, I was supposed to be married one month before the big day. I called off my wedding, left a toxic relationship, and found a life that I love during my healing and happiness journey. And then I wrote a book. The book is called Love Lost, Life Found. The book is for anyone who has A, canceled their wedding, B, gone through or is going through a divorce, or C, experienced a breakup from a toxic relationship. The book will share with you eight practical steps to heal a broken heart. You'll discover how to start your happiness journey and take it one day at a time. You'll explore why therapy can be a great healing tool. You'll start thinking about how quotes can create aha moments in your life. You'll see how self-help and self-development books can guide you. You'll learn how to create seasonal bucket lists to help you live your life. You'll learn how to truly trust your gut. And once you're ready to start dating again, you'll explore what are your truths and how to speak them into the world. Check out lovelostlifefound.com. That's lovelostlifefound.com, where you can purchase the book on Kobo, Kindle, or paperback on amazon.com. I look forward to your feedback about the book. I would love it if you would get a copy or share it with someone who is in need of healing a broken heart. For the listeners of the Alpha Female Podcast, Audible is now offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you can check out their service. There's some amazing books like You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero or The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash alpha. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash alpha for your free audiobook. Thank you for listening to the Alpha Female Podcast. 
don't forget to subscribe to the show. And I would love you to eternity and back if you would be so kind to open your podcast app of choice and leave me a rating and review. You can find more of me at robinbaldwin.com. That's Robin with a Y, B-A-L-D-W-I-N. And join us next week for another inspiring chat. I hope you have a spectacular day.